1: And welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and we've got another good show lined up today and a great guest. Um, and I just want to point it out there, as like I usually do, if there's anyone who's got topics they want to talk about or have discussed on the show, um, please send me an email at info at rowcom and uh, we'll see about getting you on the show to talk about uh, your subject or finding someone else to come on the show and talk about your subject. Um, you know, I want to make sure everyone out there gets what uh, they want out of the show and here's uh, inf- good information to help them in their their uh, business continuity and emergency response and disaster planning programs. Uh, so feel free to send me that email. Um, today we're going to be talking with Brian Patana, who is, or actually just recently, uh, left St. John Ambulance. Now, St. John Ambulance here in Canada, I believe, is comparable to uh, Red Cross and Red Crescent in other countries. Would that be correct, Brian?
2: Uh, Similarities. Uh, From the first aid standpoint, yes. Um, So what St. John Ambulance is essentially, it's a first aid organization, and they primarily target that. Um, So... What they do is try to teach first aid to the community. So that's their main uh, crux. Um, okay. Red Cross in Canada, they do teach first aid, but the, also uh, their focus is on disaster management um, and looking after uh, localized and international disasters.
1: Ah, uh, so that's the difference. Okay, mm-hmm. well, uh, to get started, uh, can you? Uh, give us, um, you know, a, a biography of yourself. You know what you've done. I, I know I've seen your bio, and you've got some uh, fantastic uh, history. Can you um, give us, uh, you know, a little bit of, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Okay. Uh, well, in terms of uh, my career, um, my main um, job is I'm a funeral director by trade, uh, locally in my home, um, uh, my home city, and. Um, that's sort of my major job. I'm also a part-time uh, tissue coordinator uh, with Trillium Gift of Life Network in uh, Ontario, Canada, and that is to um, go through screening with potential candidates who could be tissue donors to uh, allow for uh, the preservation of life and quality of life for those uh, that are in need of uh, donor tissues. Um, so I do that part-time. And um, My other sort of roles is I'm a volunteer uh, in the community, so I I just stepped down from the role of unit chief from uh, St. John Ambulance, um, and I'm on a hiatus with the organization itself. Um, I'm also a a personal disaster assistant supervisor with the Canadian Red Cross. I recently stepped down from that, um, just to take a break. I am currently a crisis responder with the local victim services uh, for Wellington County, um, and I'm also a volunteer with a, a project called Project Lifesaver, which is um, the um, goal is to protect the uh, population that have uh, dementia or their Alzheimer's uh, risk. Um, so uh, what I do is I go around and um, every couple of months I change the batteries in their um, radio transmitters. Uh, if they get lost, uh, then uh, local police can enact a search to find them. Um, I've also been a past volunteer with uh, Community Volunteer Patrol uh, in town as well to patrol uh, school yards and parks uh, locally um, in order to um, act as another pair of eyes for the uh, police community. Uh, we don't actually intervene. Um, they've just... Uh, report and just be another set of eyes. Um, other roles and responsibilities I've had. Um, I've also been a first aid instructor uh, for St. John for a three year period uh, of time. Um, and I've, I've also done other volunteer uh, positions as well with the local uh, municipal government. Um, so I've been kind of a busy guy. I was
1: just going to say that, you know, uh, there's so many things you do. You're pretty well-rounded there, you know, full-time job and, you know, half a dozen at least volunteer uh, positions. Yes, it keeps me out of trouble. (laughs) Or gets you into more trouble. (laughs) Or gets me into more trouble,
2: yes, depending on perspective. (laughs)
1: Um, Okay, so let's talk about St. John Ambulance now. Um, Okay. I've been looking at the website, uh, SJ, what is it?
2: S-J-A. 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 So SimonJerryAlfred.ca. That's that's right. That's the national one, but uh, there's also local um, branches, depending on where you live in uh, in Canada. It is throughout Canada. Um, And essentially what we do is our main uh, focus is to provide first aid courses to people uh, to teach them first aid. Um, For those that work, um, if it's part of a public safety, um, health and safety regimen, then they're mandated to take courses such as that. We also put on courses for the community, uh, for their jobs, or for gainful employment, for school programs. Um, They need that, and as well, um, ongoing first aid uh, certification for those that are in Positions such as uh, in healthcare um, and first response uh, to maintain their uh, first aid coverage. So that's the main crux of of what they do and what we offer. Um, I I
1: just have a quick question. You said courses with schools. Does does that mean you're teaching teachers or are you actually teaching students?
2: No, no. We have students that take uh, courses with us. Um, So, just members of the community that come in to uh, take courses. I know that uh, we have in the past, we've attempted to uh, sort of have like an activity day for kids, like for enrichment programs, uh, to actually teach them components of first aid and what to do. Um, And uh, we've also... um, through the Guelph branch as well, um, this sort of goes into community services. One of the things that we do have is that we are the um, team that deals has a, a localized search and rescue um, um, volunteers or core volunteers, and part of that, they have an initiative called Adventure Smart, and we go into schools, uh, we go to um, Boy Scouts, clubs, meetings, that kind of thing, girl guides. And we show them something called Adventure Smart. Um, And doing so, what that is, is an initiative on if you're a kid and you get lost in the woods type thing, what do you do to protect yourself? Uh, What do you do to sort of make yourself seen if you do get lost? Um, And just some of the things that you do uh, that way so that uh, people can find you in the woods uh, so that you don't stay lost for a long period of time. So um, we do a lot of education that way. Um we're also in community services uh, therapy dogs, so uh, we have a program where we have people that have their own um, animals um, that are um, they go into uh, nursing homes or places where folks need um, i guess a little bit of um what's the word I'm looking for uh, just to have sort of animals and pets around that um, people uh, they they find they find therapeutic uh, to sort of have present in the, in, of these animals um, and provide them some relief and comfort as well. Um, so how how do they how do animals provide that
1: comfort? I I, I was curious to know because I actually wanted to ask uh, you know uh, about that therapy dogs. I saw it you know in the information that you provide and that's on the website, and I was going well. What does St. John's do with therapy dogs? Like, do you seek volunteers? Do you you know, uh, yes, so there dogs are people that down. come in, you know, how, how that uh, have a separate work?
2: division, of, um, that someone looks after the therapy dogs, and what they do is, uh, if their animals are accredited to be therapy dogs, then, um, again, what they do is they bring their uh, therapy dog animals to, uh, like, nursing homes or um, bring them to uh, places where, there's populations where they could use the comfort of having an animal, so um, they find that with that, it provides positive uh, outcomes for folks, uh, and just sort of gives them um, some kind of relief uh, to have the uh, the dogs there. So there are people that do come to us, and um, they do um, sort of request that their dogs be therapy dogs, and then they're put through some uh, regimen or training. Um, and as an assessment as to whether they would be appropriate animals or not. And once they are, then uh, they go out in the community um, and look after uh, different populations.
1: So it's not just, you know, I couldn't just show up for with my dog, LG, and say, you know, he's going to be a therapy dog. No, he's got to go through some rigorous, you know, checks and balances to make sure he he fits in the right.
2: So not all dogs will be therapy dogs. So uh, they have sort of certain criteria for which uh, they would sort of assess. So essentially it's like temperament. So um, a therapy dog tends to be sort of a very uh, docile, relaxed um, um, animal a pet. Um, So in comparison and contrast, let's say, to a search and rescue dog, for those that do have canine units, we do not have that. But dogs of of that sort of caliber, um, they have different personality traits, different temperaments, uh, which would make them appropriate for search and rescue and for finding people. So it would be the same kind of thing as... um, um, canines that are drug sniffing dogs or specialized scent dogs, so that they have special characteristics, and they are utilized uh, if they do possess that. Well, I
1: guess that counts out my dog because he's a, a four four year old soft coated wheaten terrier, and he's all <laughs> hyper and excitable. So <laughs> oh. I don't. I, he would excite people rather than calm them down. <laughs>
2: yeah, no, no. If they're excitable <laughs> dogs, then no, they tend not to be therapy dogs. So. No.
1: um <laughs> sorry go ahead um i i wanted to uh also talk about um now for people in canada you're going to know what i'm talking about every concert i've ever been to i always see you know uh so, a couple of people in st john ambulance uh, jackets walking around making sure everything is okay mm-hmm. um do do you guys still do that
2: you know, do you still get to see oh, free content? Oh, we very much do that, especially in our community here in uh, in Guelph, uh, where I'm situated. Um, so, uh, what we also do have for community services is we have adult and youth divisions. So, the youth division are um, are essentially youths that are from about the age of eleven, twelve, up until about the age of eighteen, where uh, they sort of train, uh, learning um, first aid. And whatnot, uh, They don't readily go out to events uh, per se unless they're chaperoned by someone who's a youth supervisor. But they are trained in terms of once they graduate to the adult program, then they're able to sort of carry on some of the training and go even further um, and to assist the community in providing uh, first aid at public events. Um, the adult division, that's essentially um, the mainstay in terms of what we do. Um, A lot of community events and organizers, they utilize us to provide first aid because um, of liability, so they they are requested that they need to have some kind of first aid coverage. And for us as a volunteer organization, it's ample opportunity for us to to be present, to be uh, a presence uh, for uh, providing first aid and to hone our skills as well uh in providing first aid coverage uh wherever that may be. So that could be at a concert, that could be at a, a venue of some sort, concert hall, uh sporting events, uh cultural events. Um, so we uh we ourselves in Guelph are a very busy unit, um, especially uh come spring and summer and into the fall.
1: Well, uh, I'm, I'm in Guelph, too, and I know you know we're a university town, so you know yeah. I know there's uh, a lot of call for uh, you know St. John's uh, volunteers every so often you know with uh, a lot of the events that go mm-hmm. on. You know, and unfortunately, I have seen, you know, uh, the St. John volunteers have to get heavily involved with the situation when mm-hmm. someone's had a, been a little bit too excitable at an event or something, shall we say, you know, but uh, luckily, you know, we've got out the people like yourself and, and your your colleagues that are there to to help out, you know, these people. So, you know, thank, thank you on, on behalf of all the years I've seen you guys. Thank you very much for that.
2: Oh, thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, What's important to note is that when we do arrive at uh, any community event services or whatnot, um, it is important that it um, it's sort of important to sort of be representative of the narrative and the fact that uh, first aid, um, when it's established with someone who, you know, let's say they go unconscious or whatnot, um, they have the ability to intervene and to take care of, of, of a patient um, before any kind of um, uh, first responders show up, so like police, fire, and EMS. And there's something to be said about uh, something called the golden rule, where um, mm-hmm. if you intervene on someone's behalf uh, within an hour, um, once um, they need emergency or medical help, then their chances of survival are even greater. So it's absolutely essential, I would think, to have uh, first responders uh, and take care of someone and to preserve life.
1: Well, it's like an extra set of eyes. You know, like uh, yes. as amazing as the police services can do, you know, they can't be everywhere. So uh, even though no. they're, they're walking around, they could be in different spots and, you know, an event happens uh, somewhere else, you know, outdoors. And because there's an extra set of eyes from St. John Ambulance that are walking around, you know, as you just said, you know, there's a better chance and faster chance of someone getting to that person and helping them out.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So um, we are actually at the end of our first segment. So we're going to take a break and we'll be right back. We're talking with Brian Patana um, about St. John Ambulance and we'll be right back.
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset? Your home. Is it from a reality show on cable TV? A comparison website? Or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone road.com. Again, that's info at stone road.com. Now back to preparing for the unexpected.
1: And welcome back to preparing for the unexpected. Today we're talking with Brian Patana. We're talking about St. John Ambulance here in Canada and all of the, the wonderful services and the programs they have and offer to every everyone. Uh, we we talked about concert events and uh, getting there early and uh, saving lives. You know, from people who are enjoying themselves a little too much, shall we say? So, Brian, you touched on a couple of programs that St. John Ambulance has already, like therapy dogs and going to schools. What other kind of things, uh, you know, and first aid training, of course. Are there any other kind of things that St. John Ambulance does, you know, for communities and you know, um, people in general?
2: Yes. Uh, so, I touched upon therapy dogs. I touched upon search and rescue as well. Um, I talked a little bit about the adults in the youth division. So, um, once uh, someone gets into an adult level, then usually what we do is we, uh, we, um, beef up their first aid training, so we go from standard first aid to uh, medical first responder, which is slightly different and is closer to the kind of uh, first aid that uh, first responders like fire uh, and uh, police would receive uh, in order to deal with any kind of first aid scenario uh, and emergency. Um, we also uh, offer courses in uh, for babysitting. So for those youngins that are out there to, uh, you know, basically to babysit and earn money, what they do is uh, we actually have a course for babysitters. It's um, first aid that you would require for just being at home, and um, what to do in an emergency. And we Wow! I wish that existed the, when I was uh, young. Sorry. I said, I wish that
1: existed when I was young.
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, no. Um, it's a program that's quite important. And they also have uh, um, car chairs as well, so the, uh, the seating. Um, so they have that program as well uh, where they uh, teach people about the proper use of um, child seats uh, in cars and vehicles uh, just to essentially promote safety in using these devices um, from just a different seating for the different age levels as well. Okay.
1: Um, now let's move on to some of the products. I know you, know you you guys offer a lot of different things on your website. Can you kind of go through some of the things that you offer that help individuals, organizations, and, and even communities?
2: Well, as a first um, first aid. Um, non-profit organization uh, probably one of the biggest things that we do offer is uh, first aid kits uh, from uh, all sorts of sizes and shapes and scenarios so from personal kits to uh, car kits to home kits. Um, we do also sell AEDs as well and um, the automated external uh, defibrillators, uh, these are little devices that um, shock a person in case they have uh, any cardiac issues, and uh, in our training courses, we teach people how to do, how to use an AED uh, along with uh, teaching them CPR as well to attempt to save lives, and we do also sell uh, AEDs as well. What's important to note is uh, with the first aid kits, as I mentioned, the golden hour, so uh, taking care of someone within the first hour of uh, an emergency uh, increases their chances of survival. The AEDs themselves, um, if you perform CPR on someone alone without the use of an AED, um, so your chances are actually a little better than zero, so maybe about 5 or 10% um, in terms of resuscitating someone. You'll still keep someone going because essentially you're circulating their blood and you're giving them breath, so it'll keep them going. But to actually resuscitate someone, um, you'll get about 5%, 10% of CPR alone. When you add an AED, that uh, goes up to about eighty to ninety percent. So, wow. it's important to have uh, an AED on scene, especially if someone has a cardiac emergency. And what I'm grateful to see is that um, in communities, uh, more uh, municipal governments uh, and organizations themselves are recognizing that the the value of having an AED. So go to any hockey arena, any uh, sports facility, um, any shopping mall, uh, you will find an AED. And I can't stress enough the importance of having one. Um, and it's essentially the device itself is almost foolproof. I mean, it, it tells you exactly where to put pads. You turn it on, and it talks to you in terms of what you n- need to do Um you know, exactly what you need to do. uh, You know, I I can't stress enough is that um, you still need to call 911, and that needs to be done as soon as you can to recognize um, when there's an emergency. Um, But, yeah, having the AED there uh, increases someone's chances of survivability significantly.
1: I would... recently was we just walking through one of the towers in downtown Toronto and you always see, you know, the fire extinguishers. Well, right beside every fire extinguisher was one of these AEDs as well. Yeah. So I thought, oh, that's really good, you know, because all the, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that wander through those towers, you know, every day, you know, they're they're. Hopefully not, but, you know, they're going to be there for use when they're needed. Absolutely.
2: I mean, it may be that you never use a device, but I look at it this way. Uh, even with their costs, I mean, they have come down in cost significantly since they first have been um, introduced to the public. But they're still, I mean, upwards of maybe about $1,100, 1200 for a least expensive model nowadays. But even if you use that just once, I mean, it's, you know... How can you sort of put the price of, you know, of life, you know, on, uh, you know, basically if it saves one life, then, you know, you've gotten it back and then some. Um, And, um, yeah, I can't stress the importance of uh, of having one of these devices.
1: Right. It pays for itself, you know, a hundred times over, you know, just by saving that one life. Yes, Absolutely. you know, life has no value. They say, and you know, uh, nothing that you can put money on. I mean, you know, <laughs> sorry, yes, reword yes, that. That's right. <laughs> um, so, what other kind of things do you guys offer? I know you mentioned the first aid kits. Um, are there different kinds? Because I, I know I've got a little one in the car. I've got a different one here at home, and I've even got one for my dog. So,
2: are, yes, are there uh, different kinds? So of they're the different in that, in terms of size. So they have. Um, um, sort of like a smaller amount of items. The so larger kits would have a greater variety of things. So um, from your bandages to um, having bandage scissors to having dressings, a number of dressings, different sizes. Um, usually uh, most kits, in fact all kits, would have at least some kind of face shield or a pocket mask if you're doing CPR on somebody um, so that you're not uh, cross-contaminating. So you're protecting yourself as a first aider Uh, when giving first aid to someone or or breath uh, during CPR. And as well, these devices also help to um, protect yourself in case of um, transmission of body fluids or anything like that. So, it acts as a barrier. Um, So, all these kids have that. Um, And... Like I said, the larger kits will have usually a greater number, uh, just depending on the situation. So, if you have a car, so two, three, four people, usually it's enough to have sort of a car kit. Um, If you're going to be at work, usually workplaces will have a larger kit uh, to deal with if there's um, sort of larger numbers, um, industrial accidents, anything like that. Um, So... Uh best suggestion I can make is if going on the website. Um, you can take a look at some of the kits and see maybe what would pertain to your situation uh, to have it. But I, like I said, I can't stress enough having a kit. Um, and, um, yeah, so I, I think, yeah, it's imperative, I think, to have one. Well, even just having a basic one
1: would... It- you know, will help. You know, to you know, if you cut yourself badly or something like that, at least you can protect yourself. You know, and go to the hospital instead of wrapping your, you know, dirty dish towel around your hand or something. You can do some basic, you know, uh, first aid to yourself. You know, or yes, your you know, husband, and wife, or son or daughter can help at least. You know, and so they always come in handy.
2: Absolutely, but what's interesting is that. Uh, Having a kit is, is uh, I think, important, but I think actually taking a first aid course, um, anyone can do it, and I think that with with having a first aid course, then um, you also increase the chance of survival. Sometimes you may catch yourself where you just don't have a kit, um, and they will teach you about improvising as well, so essentially using whatever available materials you have On hand to get the job done and to do what you need to do. Um, So, if nothing else, I would say um, if you have a kit, that's great, but do take a first aid class um, because you never know. Um, A lot of times it's family members that are um, looking after, you know, someone in an emergency um, and uh, trying to sort of increase their survivability if they have the skill to. Um, keep that person at least stable enough to take them to the hospital or to have an ambulance arrive, then um, it's paid itself off.
1: Right, it's being prepared, you know, you're being prepared for the unexpected, really, (laughs) just like the show, you know, a little bit of training can do so much good, you know. That's right. Oh. Okay, so um, how about some other uh, things that um, uh, St. John's does. I know, you know, there's a lot when it comes to emergency response. Can we talk about that? Because I know there's 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 even uh, kits and manuals and all kinds of instructions that are available on that. So can we uh, expand on that a little bit? I know we touched on it a little bit in the uh, first segment, but you know, I'd okay. like to kind of broaden so that a little bit. So, in terms
2: of emergency response, St. John uh, is responsible in that. Um, they uh, provide, uh, essentially, they're auxiliary to government in case of a, like a declared disaster or some kind of emergency response in a community. So what we do is uh, we, are, um, we provide assistance when uh, the resources, like first responder resources, are taxed uh, to the point where they need assistance and all their mutual aid in other communities uh, gets kind of tapped out. So if they're requesting volunteers, so if it's like a... Disaster, like a tornado or something like that, then mm-hmm. uh, it is written in the um, emergency planning for the city that volunteer organizations can help uh, if they have a designation to help. Um, and we do provide that help. Uh, so if do, they do they call you? They would call you, us or? if it's a large enough disaster uh, to assist. Uh, we would only be... Um, Assisting to a point where, uh, because of liability issues as well, Um, but we would help out um, wherever we can, so to speak. Usually they would go through their own regimen, their own um, resources first uh, in order to um, look after the need, so to speak. But in terms of emergency planning, so all... Basically, you know everything sort of goes a wall. Then um, they do uh, can call us to to help out,
1: and then you would call your 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 own resources within St. John Ambulance to see who's available, right? And then yes. take direction from the city or whoever was requesting the help. Yes, that is correct. Oh, okay. So with the volunteers, um, how do you become a volunteer? I'm guessing that I can't just walk in and say, I'm going to help out with St. John Ambulance.
2: What well, you can do is you can go to a St. John branch and uh, you can or division and state that you're interested in volunteering. So uh, the adult volunteers are over the age of, I believe, 18, uh, 19. Um, but uh, if they are below that age, they can um, apply to the youth division. So if they are looking for volunteers, uh, then um, they get interviewed, and then through the interview process, if they're successful, then uh, they start coming out to meetings um, for the for the youth division. Uh, for the adult division, um, I'm surprised uh, in terms of seeing the range of ages that do come through our door. Um, i it is a university town, but believe it or not, there are folks in the community that are, like, they're working people or they're semi-retired. Um, so we have um, volunteers that, age, you know, rage and age from about 19 to in their mid-60s. Um, and these are people that come out to our regular meetings, our regular training. Um, and as well, uh, for St. John, uh, they have to put in a minimum number of hours per year you know, for coverage in the community, so covering community events, um, because the fact that when we go out into the community uh, to provide first aid, we are a nonprofit organization, so we do ask for donations. And for those organizations that do provide donations to us, then we in turn give that to the division, and then that in turn allows us to get uh, equipment, training, aids, materials, and things like that. So that's how we keep going um, is to provide. Um, to volunteer in the community and do requests for donations. They're not mandatory uh, donations, uh, but we do suggest. And with that, we are essentially grateful uh, for uh, the donations that we do get, so that uh, it keeps us going in terms of our training, in terms of having the materials to train as well.
1: That's right. You know, and and with what you do, you know, every, every little bit helps because that little bit of money that's given could, you know, with the training that's done for somebody, that somebody could turn around and save someone's life. So every little bit helps. So with the volunteers, I'm just, just curious because, you know, you said interview process, are there some, um, skills or any certain knowledge I should have or be aware of before I volunteer, or is that kind of taken care of after I, I go through the interview process?
2: We have, uh, folks from all walks of life uh, in terms of where they work um, and where they go to school, so um, not everyone has um, medical and health knowledge. They don't necessarily have to do that because with our training, we provide them with uh, the information that is necessary in order to provide first aid. And um, it's true that uh, some folks, when they do come in, these are people, um, when they volunteer, they go on to uh, different career paths including uh, being paramedics or uh, doctors, nurses, um, uh, police, so any fire um, first responders, um, or their students and they go on into masters and PhDs. Um, so we attract uh, um, like I said a wide variety of, of people. Um, we have people that are just working folks uh, so they have regular jobs. Um, doing different things, and then they come and they volunteer um, and do the training with us as well as, uh, as volunteer spirit. So uh, it is one of those organizations where uh, when you volunteer, you do sort of put um, a little more time into it versus, let's say, something else with volunteering where you're doing maybe, you know, a couple of hours a month. This is not that kind of organization, so there is uh, sort of a minimum dedication that you put into it between um, volunteering at events and coming to training. so you're looking minimum of about hundred and twenty hour commitment um, through the year, minimum um, and then so, depending on um, how busy you are with uh, event coverage. so again, typically in the summer, sometimes that gets bumped up, uh, we sort of ask folks. To, uh, to assist um, as much as they can with the volunteering, if they can. So, um, for those that do stick with um, the organization, uh, it, they're a very dedicated bunch of folks, um, and they're pretty sharp with their first aid skills as well.
1: So, you really want people who you know, are, are grounded, level-headed, and you know, want to help people. Yeah, and you know, they're not absolutely. just doing it for themselves. They they want to be out there to help.
2: That's right. Yeah.
1: Okay. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment, and we'll be right back talking with Brian Patana from St. John Ambulance.
0: The future of online TV is here. View exclusive content from your
2: favorite talk radio hosts and new programs that you can't see anywhere else. Visit voiceamerica.tv today.
0: Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition, and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation,
2: hosted by Elizabeth Heaton.
0: Can you truly be a change agent in your community? We think you can. Streaming live, the leader in Internet Talk Radio, VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's info at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected.
1: And welcome back to Preparing for the Unexpected. We've been talking with Brian Patana, who uh, has been with St. John Ambulance and is giving us some great tips on what the organization offers, you know, uh, first aid and the training programs and all the volunteer support um, that's out there and some tips with having, you know, first aid kits, et cetera, for all of us. but I'm going to circle back on Brian with something he mentioned. the first thing that he said, and that he works in a funeral home. Now I know that may not be a comfortable subject for many people. However, sadly, many of us have um, you know lost a loved one. Uh, I lost my father earlier this year, and I thought you know when Brian mentioned that that maybe it's make take you know this third segment to talk about you know what what a funeral home does and what they can do and offer. Um, I went through the experience and I was very happy with the the people that I dealt with. So, Brian, I'm wondering if you could kind of give our listeners, you know, what can they expect, you know, from a funeral home, a funeral director, and what is it you, you, you do?
2: Well, the essential core of my job is um, I arrange uh, funerals with families uh, upon uh, the death of their loved one. Um, I direct services uh, for the deceased on behalf of uh, of their loved ones, and um, I'm also um, a licensed embalmer as well, so I look after the embalming of people uh, in order to make them as presentable as possible in order to um, provide uh, closure for families. Um, if they do uh, go that route where they'd like to have an open-casket viewing and to have a chance to, um, to pay their respects. So that's the essential core of what I do. Um, but I'm also uh, in communication with people, uh, both through the office and also through um, nights that I'm on call. So uh, that happens day or night. So um, I would... Uh, go to a place of death, whether it be a hospital or a nursing home or someone's home, and uh, try to um, provide some calm in terms of a situation where folks are, you know, losing their minds, so to speak, uh, when something happens, when an event takes place like that, such as death, and try to yep. sort of provide some comfort for families and to sort of guide them through the, through the steps of uh, what needs to be done. How do you prepare for that?
1: Because that can't be easy for you either. You know, I, I know, I, I know, you know, and layman like me you know, always makes fun. Oh, the funeral director has no feelings. That's why they can do that. But, uh, you know, I, I don't believe that's true. You know, how, how no. do you, how do you uh, deal with that?
2: Each, each sort of um, family or each person that you deal with, I mean, it's sort of, a, you know, it's case by case. Depends on the situation. I mean, all death is sad, uh, but, you know, there are times where it's tragic or, you know, events take place where it's sudden and, you know, um, the emotional roller coaster that takes place. Um, I I parallel that with uh, my volunteering as well. So a lot of some of the common thread that I have with the organizations that I volunteer with uh, seems to deal with crisis response and crisis um, situations. So I don't know how else to sort of better explain it or something where it's like something kicks in, where it's like a duty gene. That's what I call it. So, you know, when something happens, it's like, you know, you um, have gone through, you've had the experience of dealing with situations enough, uh, whether it be, you know, uh, volunteering with St. John and training yourself and training in situations or if you're a funeral director and, you know, you're dealing with folks and dealing with their death and sort of the implications with that. Um, so it's just sort of skills that become, you know, uh, automatic with you in terms of, you know, trying to sort of deal with it and trying to help people out. And it's the fact that, you know, you're putting yourself out there, um, and you want to provide help for folks in any kind of situation. So that's sort of how I look at it from, from all perspectives. But, yeah, uh, with the, uh, being a funeral director, absolutely.
1: Mm. Uh, so, you know, better knock on wood right now. If uh, something happened right now and I needed your help, what, what would I expect, you know, the funeral home to do? you know, for me or, or, you know, not just take care of the funeral, but what does that mean? You know, let, let's break that down. You know, what is it that um, I, what services, I guess I could say, you know, overall services would I be expecting the funeral home to, to help me with? Because my, my mind could be flying, you know, a million miles a minute, you know, and sure. not focusing properly.
2: So what we do is we uh, look after, um, so once we get a first call, from somebody uh, where death has taken place, then we sort of take over. Uh, We ask questions in terms of, uh, you know, talking about we need to make arrangements. Uh, We talk about, well, essentially who's the person that died, where they are, Um, and then we intervene. We do a transfer from the place of death back into our care at the funeral home. And then if there's any preparation, if there's any embalming we need to do, then we do that. Uh, but we set a time aside for where we meet with families and they come in and, uh, we arrange, uh, a funeral for someone. So, and then depending on their wishes, um, if they belong to any kind of churches or, um, you know, if they're religious of some sort or if they're non-religious. So what we tend to do is we try to cater to the needs of the, uh, in the families, um, in terms of what they need to, um, I guess uh, to grieve uh, and to sort of help them with their um, with their loss. Uh, we also do provide aftercare as well uh, in terms of helping them with uh, any kind of paperwork, like applying to the government for um, CPP, uh, any kind of pension or anything like that. We um, in Ontario they uh, provide a death benefit. Um, well, in Canada there's a death benefit that's provided to uh, the next of kin. Um, to families, uh, to help them with um, with uh, funeral costs. Uh, so uh, that's for everyone. Um, so essentially what we do is we're there to try and alleviate um, the person's um, situation as best as possible and just give them direction and to help them facilitate um, things to sort of get underway as well.
1: So you help clear their mind so they can focus a little bit better and try try to to move forward a
2: little bit. You know. Yeah. Uh, w- yeah. I think what's important everything. as well is that we help to facilitate, um, and what we do is we attempt to sort of give family at least a sense that um, give them uh, that they're in charge, uh, and to sort of guide them into a direction and just sort of you know help them walk along the uh, the path that uh, that they're on. One thing I found
1: interesting with the funeral home I was dealing with is they helped write the obituary. And I honestly, I had no idea how those things were written. And I was so glad that there was someone to help me because I really wouldn't have had any clue what to do.
2: Yes, we do that. We help them with um, whether or not they need to enact a, a cemetery. Uh, to help them uh, in terms of picking out a plot uh, or a grave or anything that they want, um, or if they don't want cemetery property, so to help them with um, if their loved one is going to be cremated, uh, to have their ashes uh, prepared, placed in an urn, and then to give uh, urn back to the family uh, and to have them um, look after things however they wish. Um, so we're there to, to cater to the family um, as best as we can.
1: Well, having gone through that recently myself, you know, uh, again, thank you very much to you you and your colleagues. It uh, certainly helped my brother and I as we went through it. You're very welcome. You know. um, Now, let's, if we can, and I don't know if it's possible, but uh, try to put a little uh, smiley face on, on this little topic. But have you ever received any some bizarre, you know, requests you know, you, you see them on TV where pe- you know, people, you know, people sit- in sitcoms where someone wanted their ashes spread over some weird statue or whatever the case may be. Have you ever received anything like that?
2: <laughs> Just curious. Um, I'll put it to you this way. So I think essentially we get sort of all sorts of requests. What we tend to do is we try to cater to their wishes as best as we can. We do have sort of boundaries that we try not to cross, uh, but we are there to help them along and guide them as best as we can. Okay. Good answer. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I just wanted to mention, I know we're sort of running out of time, but uh, I think what's important with me in sort of my career choices and my volunteerism is that uh, community resilience in any way, shape, or form is probably the most important thing that, um, I kind of strive for, and uh, for St. John, for me, it's a thing that if you teach first aid to as many of the people in the population, uh, then you provide um, better resilience um, and better immunity to any kind of disasters. So um, I will say that it's very important that I think as many people as they can take a first aid class and try and preserve life as best as possible.
1: Well, I think you captured that really well with resilience. And in the last segment, you mentioned that a lot of your volunteers, you know, um, through for years, you know, they start as a volunteer, but they've moved on up into other areas. So they would take that, uh, I hope and would expect that knowledge and skill that you've been uh, teaching them and, you know, uh, giving them. And now they're taking that into other areas, the police, paramedics, or, you know, even a a government office job or or anything like that, right? Yes. And which is great. You know, I I think that that really helps with resiliency because then where they go, um, let's say I'm doing contract work for a bank right now. So let's say they work for a bank. They've got that resiliency mindset, you know, and hopefully they bring that to the, um, the organization's culture. You know, so you're, what you do is contributing to that.
2: Yes, absolutely. So I think in that, if, if you sort of have that as a background where you think that, you know, you try and do things in order to ensure resilience, then for me, I think it's sort of a greater chance of success and greater chance of survival as well. So I think that's really important.
1: Well, We've only got a couple minutes left, and I just want to ask you one question. Um- is there any special story you'd like to share, you know, either a good story or a bad story or even a funny, hilarious one that you couldn't believe actually happened, you know, <laughs> that you, you'd you like to share um, with anyone? It,
2: probably the one story I have is that um, I, you know... Um, It's a first aid story. So I wasn't actually working uh, for, like, St. John. Like, I wasn't on duty. I was actually working at my funeral home job, and I was uh, just doing some administrative work. I had to go and register some paperwork. Um, So I would do that at City Hall to do that. And on route, uh, I witnessed someone get uh, hit by a car. And um, when that happened, um, I was concerned that uh, there was damage. Um, so, um, I sort of went into first aid mode and got out and, uh, there were other folks around bystanders to help, uh, first responders, uh, police, fire, uh, EMS hadn't arrived yet. So, um, I went to the person that, uh, got hit and, um, even though I didn't have a kit with them, um, this is sort of a, a learning thing where it's like, you know, try and use whatever available materials you have. So um, we, someone had given me a coat to uh, keep the person warm and uh, to basically uh, they were on the ground. They were injured. Um, but um, what happened was, um, you know, the EMS, uh, they showed up within a matter of a couple of minutes. Um, the person, um, after maybe about five minutes was slowly was able to get up and walk to a stretcher to an ambulance and get checked out at the hospital. Um, and later I found out that they were okay. But for me, it was sort of like a lesson learned where it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Uh, it's going to happen when you least expect it. But when it does happen, try and be as best prepared as possible. Keep a cool head. Um, keep a first aid kit handy. Um, it's probably essential to do. But even if you don't, uh, just think of just any available materials or things that you could need to uh, get the job done. And for me, it's it's something that's, you know, I've kept with me. This happened uh, back in about 2012, so about five years ago. So um, it's a sort of important life lesson. Uh, Things just kind of happen when you least expect it and just deal with it
1: well that's a great point to end on you helped someone you know in need and that's uh, you couldn't ask for anything better than that so thank you Brian thanks for joining us and talking about uh, st. John's ambulance and giving giving us some insight on the uh, funeral director and, and what people can expect you know and ho- hopefully and, you know, we never have to but sadly we know we will um, you know, so thank you for everything you do. I do appreciate it, and like I said, I've seen uh, St. John Ambulance all over the place. So, you know, and helping people. So, uh, congratulations, and thank you very much to to yourself and your your work colleagues.
2: Well, I thank and, you very much, Alex. I appreciate you giving us uh, some time with uh, St. John Ambulance uh, to sort of um, highlight what we do in the community and the importance of what we do as well. Much appreciated. Uh,
1: My pleasure. And on that note, we'll say uh, goodbye to everyone for this week. Until our next show, uh, stay prepared, everyone.
0: Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll see you here next week.